It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Good morning. Happy Labor Day weekend. I hope you're finding the time to relax. It's Ashley Frasca. You're listening to Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. You know, part of the fun of the show for me is bringing in experts. I always tell you guys, there are a lot more people out there that know a lot more things than I do. So I am very pleased today to have Buddy Lee with me calling from Louisiana this morning. The inventor, the founder, the father of the Encore Azalea. Yeah, you guys know what that is. Buddy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ashley, for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on today. It is a pleasure to have you because this is one of those standard foundation shrubs, things in the landscape. It's loved and adored, of course, by Southerners, but can be enjoyed by people in most parts of the country. How many years have you been riding the wave of success of this Encore Azalea? Well, I guess it's about the mid-90s, uh, you know, the Encore uh, Azaleas. But, you know, it, in gen- Azaleas in general, though, I've been working with them since the late, uh, since the late 70s, mid-70s. Uh, I always found that you know, back before Encore, I worked with a lot of azaleas, and azaleas uh, sort of the backbone of the Southern Garden and, and a lot of other places. It's a great, you know, uh, plant. There's a lot of other plants now in competition with azaleas, but azaleas still stand, stand out as the icon Southern plant. So about mid-90s, uh, the Encore started selling actually in, in Atlanta, you know, was the first release of the Encore azaleas. You know, I was working on the Encore azaleas, from the 70s, actually, doing plant raising and collecting. You know, I always loved azaleas. It was just kind of like a hobby, kind of an intense hobby that just kind of got loose, you know, on me. That's what I was going to ask. Like, was this kind of just a happy accident that this happened, or was this kind of your steadfast line of work trying to come up with a more common reblooming azalea? You know, I, I think it was just that I was just fascinated with azaleas because I was started collecting plants before uh, I started working uh, in wholesale nurseries. I grew up on a vegetable farm, a beef farm, dairy farm in southeast Louisiana, and you know, not really in the horticultural you know realm of things, but just always interested in plants. And there were some nurseries, wholesale nurseries, that specialized in azaleas in the Folsom, Louisiana area. And I, you know, when I was uh, 15, I started working part time for them. I had interest before Zazer and these places uh, specialize in those areas. And, and I just was fascinated with them. And as time creeped on, I started my own nursery. But competition and selling Azaleas at that time, there was a lot of competition. And so I, you know, just had an interest in plants. I just think, well, maybe I could recreate them or, you know, do some plant breeding. And, I, and why I even thought that at that young age, I don't really know. I just <laughs> always attached you know, attached to a plant, you know, you know, collecting wild native plants in the woods and things like that. I, where I grew up was fairly rural, so I guess I didn't have a lot of other options, but I just loved it. Still love native plants today. But azaleas just seemed easy to grow. They just were spectacular when they bloomed. Uh, they they were, you know, they just kind of disappeared in the garden, in their gardens uh, after the spring bloom, but you know, there was some azaleas that had a tendency to bloom, 
and I just started collecting them as my nursery got larger. You know, I was just looking for some other way to sell plants in a highly competitive market, you know, in fall blooming. Started collecting a lot of, you know, this was probably right around high school that I started, right after high school and in college, I started collecting azaleas that had a tendency to bloom in the fall. And then um, a little later on, I, uh, a friend of mine had a plant from uh, tai, Taiwan, um, it was rhododendron hemia that it was a species from Asia that bloomed in the summer. And I started doing hybrids with them. Fast forward, not, um, you know, thousands of seedlings and evaluation, and then just um, mid nineties, you know, we released the first one. There's a lot of spaces in there to fill in, but it would take a long time. But just a, you know, uh, matching up, working with flowerwood nurseries, uh, or you know, early on and developing plants. But you know, back then, um, new plants just wasn't something that was on the radar for consumers. Uh, you know, gardeners were satisfied with the products they had, but in the 80s and 90s, this push of new plants kind of pushed onto the, you know, horticultural uh, consumer um, realm of things. What do you think was the push for that? I mean, what was happening in the 80s? Was it just kind of a booming house market maybe or, or an economy that made that that way? Probably so, and maybe just a different uh, generation of people, you know, homeowners, people wanting something different or unique. Uh, it wasn't just like something that a light clicked on that started doing this. It was a process. Over time, uh, I guess with new generation of homeowners, just a whole new attitude. And landscape in your home or gardening in your home just kind of changed. People saw it as more of a activity and improvement of their home. And maybe it's always been like that. In my realm of nurseries, there was always kind of a pushback to new plants or just didn't see the need of it. But I think that changed in the late 80s and early 90s. People started incorporating new types of plants, new improved plants in their production. Wow. So speaking with the breeder behind Encore Azaleas, Buddy Lee calling from Louisiana this morning. 20 to 30 years of experience and working on this since the 70s, you're interest in gardening and in plants began even before high school so you found a niche and you found a need and you started working on it without getting too bogged down in science buddy talk to us about how how do you do that is it a matter of like propagation and grafting plants together because you said you found some azaleas back then that you know were reblooming. but how do you stick one onto another and turn it into an encore. Right. <laughs> well, actually, my breeding work, uh, <clears throat> initially I was collecting vegetative sports or, or branches that genetically change, you know, on the plant. And you take cuttings and produce them. You know, I, I would call that passive plant breeding. You're just waiting for a change on the plant. But I moved uh, more into control plant breeding where, you, you know, you collect the pollen from one plant and you store it and you put the pollen, you cross it with another plant. You actually take the pollen and put it on the pistil or the female part of the plant okay. of the on another one. You take two plants, you want to combine the characteristics. You do uh, controlled plant breeding. It forms into a, a little seed capsule, you know, after about 90 to 120 days, you dry it. And in that seed capsule, you probably have three to five hundred days tiny seed. And then you sow the seed, um, you know, you grow them, and over time you take care of them, and they, they get big enough to transplant. Then, 
you know, as time moves on, you know, they'll eventually bloom. And so all these little seedlings from that particular cross are all kind of like siblings, but all this diversity uh, is spread through them. And so you pick, you just start evaluating each plant uh, to see which one has the best vigor mm-hmm. or the, the best bloom, repeat bloom. That was a trait I was looking for. And, you know, along the way, you're doing cold hardiness. And the way I grow my seedlings, once they get big enough, they, they're out in the can yard. I just let whatever comes along, you know, cool weather and stuff. And I don't know if I'm getting too bogged down in the details. No, not at all. Control. <laughs> I was just fortunate to, to know some people that were just very plant knowledgeable people. And uh, they would give me bits and pieces of information, and I just kind of put it together and just march forward. I knew if I wanted to change the azalea, I needed to really do control pollination and evaluation and come out with some plants. And do you have a staff even back then? You know, I mean, that's obviously meticulous research and observation being done on all of these plants, like you said, testing them for various things all at the same time. Did y'all just take copious notes throughout the season on each and every plant to see which ones were more vigorous? Actually, it was just kind of a homegrown deal. You know, just I did the crossing. My children helped me with, they were small and they loved working with the plants and my wife. But actually, the plant breeding was sort of separate from my wholesale nursery. I guess it was just kind of there, you know. No, there was notes and things taken, but it wasn't like an academic, big-time research institute or whatever. It was sort of like a backyard deal, but it kind of got out of hand. But I was just used to working with a lot of plants, so... um, it did get overwhelming at times because, you know, these plants weren't really being grown to be sold. They were All these seedlings were growing to select out a plant. Mm. A lot of it was just, uh, you know, survival of the fittest as they grew. If it got down to, you know, 12 degrees or colder and it split, and those plants would just be eliminated. It's well, like a, and do you not baby a, them? A like you, you kind of want to expose them to things to see what lasts, right? That's right. And, you know, when they're initially very small, those tiny seedlings, right. you do have to protect them. I mean, you know, I use very little pesticides or anything like that. But when they're small, you really have to watch them. Once they get them part up where they can go outside, I just kind of let things go uh, with the flow. You know, yeah. I don't, I'm not actually growing the plants to sell them. So, you know, if insects come and insects go... I just, you know, I can monitor that and just start selecting out the ones that tend to have more resistance or tolerance at that particular time. And I generate a lot of plants, you know, azaleas, and just keep pushing. I just, I just love to see the little seedlings bloom, that, you know, expressing all these traits. That is a dream, and it's certainly a passion. Well, buddy, I'm enjoying our conversation, so I'll tell you what. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to jump out, check traffic, because you never know on a holiday weekend, on a Saturday morning, what things are like in Atlanta. Check traffic and weather, and I'll be right back with Buddy Lee, the founder and the father of Encore Azaleas, right after this. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. Scott Slade here on your WSB Weekend. Enjoy green and growing with Ashley Frasca and Dave Baker's Home Fix-It this morning on 95.5 WSB. The WSB News team, meteorologist Kirk Mellish and I, will be here Monday morning with Atlanta's Morning News. Here's Ashley. Well underway into hour number two of green and growing. Hey, the update on the weekend weather that was brought to you by Finley Roofing. And I'm with Buddy Lee, the breeder of the Encore Azalea. You know, this beautiful, well-known, iconic plant has so many colors 
And buddy, before you go, I'd like for you to give us tips on how to be successful with one or many. Uh, any plant, uh, azaleas or any any plant, but especially azaleas, you know, they need to be planted correctly. Uh, you need a good acidic, well-drained soil for azaleas to thrive. And I would say, you know, a pH of around five drainage is key uh, when you're planting it. Azaleas have uh, more of a fibrous root system, and they're really shallow rooted. You know, keep that in mind when you're planting them. Because you don't want to plant them too deep uh, because you'll kind of stifle the plant. I always like to leave about two to three inches above the grade of your soil. Okay. And then just kind of build up to it uh, some. You don't want your plant to subside or sink down into the soil. Plant it high and then mulch it and just bring the mulch up to the to the plant. It's about two to three inches uh, I really like pine needles or pine straw, whichever you know, whatever you want to call it. But you know, pine bark is, is good with the pine bark and stuff. Don't get too deep with the mulch because you know, in a roundabout way, you're actually sinking the root. You know, the, the roots are getting deeper. Fall is a is a great time to uh, plant azaleas. The temperature is starting to moderate. It's not too stressful. And one good thing about fall planting or is, you know, the soils don't freeze in the, in the southeast that much. And a lot of times you still get root activity through the winter. You know, you can actually, the roots can be a little resilient, can be established in itself in the bed. So, you know, when spring comes, your plant's ready to go if you do fall planting. I, you know, planting in spring is fine, too. Absolutely. And to your point, buddy, too, you know, folks needing to know what their soil chemistry is. And now's a good time yeah. leading into fall planting. Maybe if you can quickly turn around a soil test and have that done, you will definitely, it'll pay dividends in the long run. And one thing I want to mention, too, about Encore Azaleas, buddy, is more compact, you know, than traditional azaleas. So how yeah. is that how we space them? We need to really look at the label there to make sure they have sufficient room when they're fully grown, right? It all depends on what type of effect you want to have, like if you're planting a row of or what. Some people like to have just like a row of plants that intermingle with each other the entire line. Other, you know, I see now a lot of people just like individual plants, but there's a lot of information on, on the tag on the plant. Right. There's a lot of information. Also, you can get a lot of information, you know, on the Encore website. But, you know, the Encore are a very diverse genetically group of plants. You get a lot of different plants that mature at different sizes because they are from a different, you know, different species genetic background because they're very diverse. As you mentioned, they can check out the website. Just EncoreAzalea.com is really going to give you a basis for the foundation and the knowledge that you need to be educated to pick out the right one for you, the color you're looking for. It gives you what's hardy in your zone, which most of us are in seven and eight. Um, and obviously finding those at Pike Nursery this time of year as well. Buddy, how can folks find out more about you online? You know, I do a good bit of public speaking at garden centers and numerous uh, times I've spoken around the Atlanta area with COVID things have kind of, you know, kind of slowed, but I've had several speaking engagements uh, this fall and next spring. 
I, I guess that's uh, if someone wants to find out about me, there's enough information mostly about, uh, you know, on, online, you know. Yeah, and I'm sure that mm-hmm. I'll get word, too. You know, if you are ever doing an engagement here in the Atlanta area anytime soon, I am happy to let folks know um, either via the yes. Green and Growing WSB Facebook page or letting folks know on the show because I know they would love to not only see you in person, but I'm sure you bring some of the plants with you for visual aids. Yes. Just what a treat that would be. It's usually master gardeners groups. It can be garden centers. Uh, it's a you know a lot of different venues, areas that I speak at. Well, buddy, I appreciate but, you taking the time on a Saturday morning to join me and my listeners. We've learned a lot from you. And again, folks, EncoreAzalea.com now is an ideal time to really start thinking about installation and putting these out in your landscape. And you'll have years and years that you can enjoy these for sure thank you ashley i enjoyed it thanks buddy my pleasure and coming up your calls 404-872-0750 it's green and growing on wsb Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. Hey, good morning. Glad I had a chance to speak there with Buddy Lee, founder of the Encore Azalea. You know, coming up one hour from now, Pike Nursery, they're going to share some colorful shrubs, and a lot of those could be nice companion shrubs to azaleas. So stay tuned for that in the last hour of the show. Plus, a lot of you are combating one insect in your lawn right now. I have found it somewhat prevalent in the west and the northwestern suburbs. I'm going to talk to the uh, county extension agent from Paulding County and give you the lowdown on what it is and how to combat it. But your calls now. Up first, it's Traffic Trooper Disc Golf Driver. Hey, Mike from McDonough, good morning. (laughs) Good morning, Ashley. Do me a favor. I want you to tell people why I just called you a traffic trooper. What does that mean? (laughs) It's kind of like an inside joke during the week, right? (laughs) It is. is. I'm I'm one of uh, many people who... uh, have are, are your set of eyes on the road and if we see something happening on the road we'll give you all a heads up and um i'm the disc golf driver because i'm a big disc golfer so it kind of plays in there yeah and i mean sometimes the traffic troopers that call the traffic center pretty frequently give themselves a name or in some cases captain herb gave many of you names or we've just kind of <laughs> yeah. developed nicknames for you over time but um and two you're working on since you're an avid disc golf player you work on mm-hmm. a fundraiser that you do that helps us uh, support Toys for Tots, which was one of Captain Herb's favorite charities. And what's the date that you mm-hmm. set for that disc golf tournament? It's October 2nd. This will probably be, what, the fourth or fifth annual for you, right? It's the fifth annual, yes. Yeah, man. We love doing that. The traffic team is grateful that you've involved us in that and that we can be a part of that and, and raise money for Toys for Tots. So now that the carathon's over, Mike, we're already kind of thinking on to the next group of folks. Who can we help? You know, so October 2nd, um, you'll definitely see more of myself and Doug Turnbull, Smile and Mark McKay, share information cool. about that on, on our Twitter accounts and our Facebook uh, pages. So thank you for what you do for that, Mike. You know what does not inspire gardeners? What you're calling about? Deer. <laughs> it does quite the opposite, doesn't it? <clears throat> Uh, a furry-legged uh, <laughs> uh, terror that I've lived in this subdivision for, oh, 15 years. I've never had problem with deer. I don't want to spray chemicals, so I'm trying to get into this deer's head. And I hear you're an expert on deer psychology, so I'm going to lay down on the couch. Can you help me figure out how to keep this guy from 
chewing all my plants up without uh, spraying chemicals. That's right. You know, I did take just deer psychology 101, Mike. I didn't make it much further than that. So I've got some pointers for you for sure. There's a couple of different avenues we can take with this, just repelling deer, keeping them away. I do have some suggestions. It may not be what you think. So there are products that are safe for the environment. He said he didn't want to do it with chemicals, but deer scram is a granular repellent. It is labeled safe for animals. Well, I mean, safe for humans, insects, and won't hurt plants um, in case it actually does kind of biodegrade and break down into something that's more of an organic high nitrogen nutrition around it. And also something like plant skid as well. That's another brand of repellent. Um, Odor free to us but it's safe, again, around plants and things. You just never want to apply it to the edible parts of the garden, fruits and vegetables. On WalterReeves.com, a great list of plants to deter deer. I wish I had time to share the whole thing, but shrubs, flowers, herbs, deterring them based on texture, taste, and smell. Type in deer control on WalterReeves.com, stuff that you can enjoy that the deer won't. And I have a feeling you all have some ideas for us, too. You know, it's just heartbreaking when you see them chomping down and destroying all your plants. We can all relate. And Bill from Ackworth, he can. He has some suggestions for Mike and others listening this morning. Good morning. Good morning. So what what has uh, worked for you? I've heard you talk. uh, Somebody called in about chopping soap up and throw it in the yard. That's about halfway correct. What you want to do is get your onion bags that you buy onions in at the grocery store, uh-huh. empty them out, take a bar of soap and put it in that bag. Uh-huh. Tie it to a limb on the tree near your garden or a fence post or whatever you've got where the air can flow through it and get the scent. Because deer, that's what they smell on humans when they go hunting is the soap in your clothes. And it's a surefired way if you hang it up, a bar of soap, several of them around your garden, you will not have any deer in your garden. So this is an unpaid plug for Irish Spring because that is one of the most strongly scented bar soaps I can think of. When you go hunting, they smell the soap on your body and in your clothes that you wash with. Mm -hmm. And that's what the deer smell. Well, and like you said, too, if the air is really, you know, flowing or on a breezy day or whatever, just pushing the smell of that soap around the area. I mean, how far off do you think it would keep them away? Are we talking just 10 feet away? I've I've used it for several years, this, this method, and I have no problem with you in my garden. Yeah, Sandra Parrish, you know, a reporter for WSB for a long time here, and I had a great conversation this time last year, and I think she might have been the one that was saying, you know, the shavings of of the bar soap and just kind of leaving it around the garden, but of course that's going to eventually break down with the moisture yeah. and, and rain and all that. So just the full bar of soap in, a, in an onion bag from the grocery store and one of these net onion bags yeah. and uh, the air will flow through it and take the smell right to the deer and they won't bother your garden. Ah, oh, Bill, I really like it. That's a man with a plan, a man who has tried this and knows that's a good suggestion. Thank you so much. And, Mike, I hope you're still listening. Try that. Invest in some soap. Go buy it, buy it at the dollar store and away you go. 404-872-0750. Up next, Dave from Buford. Good morning, Dave. Hey, good morning, Ashley. How are you this morning? Very good. What advice do you have for us? I love, you know, I love questions from folks, but I love folks like you that call with advice. You're giving it to us the other way. I'm in the industry. So um, something I have recommended to my customers that have issues with deer that tear up their their arborvitaes and their legalins and things like that, is instead of trying to deter them from the desirable plant material, try baiting them away from it, like putting out a bird feeder, for example. Get a salt lick or corn feed 
put it away from the plants that they're attracted to. Again, that's kind of like putting out a mouse trap. Doesn't guarantee you'll catch the mouse, mm -hmm. but it's a way of encouraging them away from what they're looking at towards something that they desire even more. I love that. And I had brought up the idea of a salt block. Yeah, thinking if you put that on the periphery of your property, maybe deer would just be grateful and happy for that and stick with that and not come further into your yard to see, ooh, there's even more desirable things that I would like. Like kind of a distraction. Yeah. Exactly. Dave, my friend, I am going to be on the lookout for your calls from here on out. I do remember talking to you. The more I've heard you talk, I do remember talking to you about moles previously. I invite you to call anytime since you've got knowledge, you're in the industry. Folks, see, that's what we do. I don't have all the answers, but we help each other out. 404-872-0750. Up next, it's Martha calling from Powder Springs. Good morning. Good morning, Ms. Fraska. How are you? Great. What's going on today? Well, I was calling uh, the opposite of green and growing. <laughs> I have a neighbor with a lovely crop of kudzu, uh. and it keeps creeping onto my land. And this nice man has given me permission to go on his property and cut back... Uh, what's over there but my question is how do i best attack this stuff boy yeah and that certainly is you know the the exotic pest plant council and and there's a website for invasive species of course that ranks pretty high up there um and it is the homeowner's responsibility even though us as the homeowner maybe didn't put it there um, when it starts, you know, invading into the neighbor's yard, you're responsible for that. So that's cool that he's at least allowing you, like, look, I'm sorry it's here. I don't want it to bother you. So kind of giving you permission to start to tackle it back. You're calling it a good time, Martha, because fall is generally a great time to spray a herbicide if you need to start controlling it that way. The leaves at that time of year are just much more apt to take in the chemical, and then it really works through the root system and all of that, the vine's root system. So fall is going to be a good time for that. Glyphosate, you know, if some people are funny about using Roundup and so many cautions, you know, using that and make sure it's not a windy day, making sure there's no drift, you're not spraying it around plants that we want. Uh, triclopyr is another one. Triclopyr is a herbicide that's a little more, um, you know, targeted and it's not necessarily going to kill everything in its I path. Don't some of the companies make a blend that's the glyphosate and triclopyr together? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But one or the other are both very effective on kudzu and things like that. Um, another good time of year, February, to chop down the vines and go for that manual removal. And then you're kind of getting to it before it has new growth in the spring and before it puts on the flowers and the seeds and all that kind of stuff. You certainly cannot tackle it all in the fall, but a start, that, that might be really, really good for you. Thank you. You're so welcome. And, you know, for things like that, um, English ivy I've got, and I, I try not to spray, but I'm kind of getting to the point where it's just, you know, it grows so much quicker than I can really deal with it. As, as much manual removal as I can do, but poison ivy and stuff like that, some people have outbreaks to Virginia creeper to the five-leafed climbing vine and growing vine. I, I don't necessarily have outbreaks of of that, but poison ivy, I just can't get anywhere near. So uh, Bayer, which used to be Bayer, now Bio Advanced, in the blue bottle, 
they make a good brush killer as well that I have found effective. It, it does require repeat applications, but for me, that's effective on poison ivy and Virginia creeper. And I can't think of the active ingredient at the moment, but look on the label, Martha, that may do you some good too, but that's not going to be as strong as say glyphosate or something with triclopyr as the active ingredient. Thanks for the call. Good luck. And I'm so glad you have a good relationship with your neighbor to where you guys can just talk about this and, and be engaged with one another. And we have some more calls, maybe some tips for Martha from you. Right back to your calls on WSB. It's Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on 95.5 WSB. The news, weather, and traffic team will be here first thing Monday morning to help you get back to work on time and informed. Now back to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's News and Talk. I'm back. Hey, Ashley Frasca, hosting Green and Growing for you here. You know, my last caller, Martha, had quite the task ahead of her battling kudzu coming over from the neighbor's yard. Up next, Judy and Tucker has a suggestion. Good morning. Good morning, Ashley. Such a pleasure to talk to you. you I too. love waking up on Saturday and listening to your show. Thank you. A friend of ours just bought a house last year all the way up in Ball Ground, and he has really dug in on taking care of the outside. And one of the problems is English ivy, which mm-hmm. is one of the things you mentioned. And he found this great organic way to kill the ivy, and it still takes uh, elbow grease to get out there uh-huh. and do stuff, but you can find this recipe online. It's a combination of rock salt and soap and white mm. vinegar. Mm-hmm. Now, you have to dilute the vinegar, I guess. From what I understand, the soap breaks down the waxy coating on the uh, the ivy leaves, right? and the vinegar is the actual, quote-unquote, poison, and the rock salt also helps in all of this somehow and all of this won't hurt the local environment we have a a, a little woodshed out to the side of the house and good lord trying to keep the uh, english ivy off of that is just crazy i mean vinegar seems to be turning out to be such a magical thing to use i mean you can use it to wash your windows and other things (laughs) out still using vinegar and dish soap and um Yeah, you could just Google it, um, organic ivy removal. I put in ivy removal vinegar dish soap rock salt Mm -hmm. in the search bar, and it came up with uh, a huge amount of of information and uh, found that. So, And considering that a lot of the local municipalities really want to make sure that whatever gets into the storm drains and into the water table isn't going to hurt the water supply. This just makes sense. Yeah. So I just wanted to put that out there for I love you that. and the listeners. Yeah, and the yeah. vinegar is, you know, traditionally known to be um, a, a pretty good herbicide. And, and now keep in mind, it does only work on the leaf surface, so it's not really going to get or do much for combating something at the root level. But yeah, when you talk about the dish soap and things like that, that's a surfactant, meaning that it's able to break down that oil and a waxy coating that, oh my gosh, is on English ivy. So tough Uh to kill. So that's great. And a lot of the garden groups that I'm part of on Facebook, there's always something that is shared. I promise it's like once a week, it seems. Someone will always post an article, ooh, 10 ways to use vinegar, you know, effectively in your home. (laughs) Is it like you said, a cleaner and a herbicide and all these other things? So that's worth looking into, Judy. I really appreciate that. Yes, yes. And and like I said, the elbow grease, you're going to have to trace the IV uh, 
strands or the vines and cut them off at one point so they're you know kind of like separate them from the mothership shall yeah. we say? <laughs> and then and then if you spray it then because if you don't cut it off somewhere along the line it'll still be uh, alive and still try to grow out right. or try to reroute itself a nightmare task for sure. Well, Judy, you've given some folks confidence. I really appreciate the call. Now, coming up, starting at 8 o'clock, my interview with Rebecca Sears, a garden guru that you'll want to hear her fall tips. You're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.